Whenever you rent or buy a video, you need to be sure that the film you choose is suitable for the audience at home. It may also contain some very explicit language, which will frequently mean sexual swear words. Welcome to Friday Night Movie Time Podcast. Happy New Year. First episode for two months. This is Mike. This is Lee. And this time we are discussing Dracula from 1979, directed by John Badham, starring Frank Langella as the Count, and a star-studded British television cast. And Laurence Olivier. Yeah, of course, Laurence Olivier and Donald Pleasance. Memories of this, Lee, the first time you saw it? I don't have that many memories. Dracula is one of my favourite books of all time, as well as I have good memories of the uh, Todd Browning, Bela Lugosi Dracula from the 30s, also made by Universal. Universal, obviously, when they were still owned by the Lemleys, made their money off um, horror films. And just like the one we're about to review, it was based on the play and not the book itself, because I know... The first adaption of Dracula was the F.W. Murnau's um, Nosferatu. He made that because he couldn't get the rights for the film and he lost the case. They were told to burn every print of the film and luckily one print survived because it's a great movie. But this one I know I've seen when you first recommended it. Um, I knew I'd seen it at some point, but it wasn't one that I'd regularly gone back to. My go-to is the Bela Lugosi one, always, every Halloween, and the 1993 Francis Ford Coppola Dracula, which there are scenes in this movie which he has stolen. Yes, fair enough. I suppose you always get that overlap because it's such a well-known story. Um, so what's your first uh, memories of this film? It shaped my view of Dracula. I think it was one that Dad taped off either BBC or ITV in the 80s. We had the tape for many years, and as we said before, kids, we didn't have movies on demand. We had what was ever in the house, didn't we, or at the video shop? Yeah, or whatever got played on TV uh, late on Friday night. So I've always had rose-tinted spectacles towards this version, but probably went about maybe 25 years without seeing it, perhaps even 30. 
probably was the 90s when uh, we got rid of that VHS recording off the TV. And um, I decided to buy it on Amazon Prime about five years ago. It's still in my collection. I've watched it once or twice since and twice more for this podcast. And yes, I've started to see flaws now as an adult. What I, f- I find quite, f- because obviously this is based on a, pl- a play and Frank Langella was playing Dracula on the stage play um, at the time. I believe when we talked about this you know, before we recorded, he is probably the least scary thing in this film. Yeah, I mean, there's a, a brief part of the making of from one of the Blu-ray releases. He mentions um, they wanted to sort of show Dracula in a way he hadn't been shown before. The more sort of romantic figure, I suppose we've seen in subsequent adaptations, most noticeably as well, the Stephen Moffat, Mark Gatiss one from a few years ago, which I wasn't a huge fan of. I do know the one you mean. Was it three episodes? I think so, yeah. Three ninety I minutes. Think, I think uh, Debbie and I got through one episode, and then even me being a huge Dracula fan, even I could say, I, I don't want to see the end of this. This isn't. I'm not enjoying this. I didn't like the fact in the third episode they brought it forward. Um, they had, well, Van Helsing was turned into a lady. That shouldn't happen. No, I'm not one of those guys. <laughs> But um, they brought it forward to modern times, you know, in Whitby and had sort of Van Helsing's great, 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 whatever granddaughter in charge of the police then for the final episode. And it just completely fell to pieces. Uh, So I didn't miss much then. No, not at all. Yeah, I definitely saw this quite young because this was all sort of mixed up with that uh, movie, which I've never gone back and watched. Uh, Love at First Bite, the parody with uh, George Hamilton. Yeah, I know. I know. Yeah, it's seen that. Yeah, so this was all sort of mixed up in that for me as well. Usually, when someone says parody, my first go-to thought is the Leslie Nielsen, Mel Brooks, Dracula, Dead and Loving It. Yeah, and there's definitely parallels, particularly the scenes when he turns into a bat in this, and it makes you think of Leslie Nielsen's face on the bat in yeah. the window. I know. Obviously, we're reviewing this to see whether if the film actually still holds up. This film had massive critical success at the time. Yeah. Which I can completely understand does change quite a lot of the things from from the book and probably from the play as well. I've never I don't think I've ever seen Dracula as a play before. Overall, my viewpoint is this is almost like a television production, but on a on a bigger budget. Yeah. So it's something similar to what the Ealing films did in the 80s. And we've already covered uh, Michael Caine and Jack the Ripper in a previous episode. It'd be that sort of scale, but you've got this fantastic uh, John Williams score as well, who was really at his peak at this period, wasn't he? Yeah, he was really starting to feel his feet by this point because he had done obviously Jaws, Star Wars, Close Encounters. He was he was becoming a name, a household it's name. It's quite surprising, isn't it, to have him? I think in this scale of production, considering you know, a list cast wise, it's two guys who are quite old by this point in terms of Laurence Olivier and Donald Pleasance but the rest are pretty much stalwarts of British TV. I believe I said to you last night, both Donald Pleasance and Laurence Olivier openly admitted that this was just a paycheck for them. And it's very apparent that they are phoning in their performances. One of the scenes which we'll talk to later, it becomes very apparent that Donald Pleasance is doing that. Yeah. And Considering Lawrence, Lawrence Olivier is supposed to be considered one of the greatest actors of all time, if you gave someone this film as an example of his work, they would probably laugh at you and going, he's an awful actor. 
caught up in the fact it was the fir- my first sort of exposure to Dracula. He didn't flash at me. He was in a nonce. <laughs> <laughs> Dorothy Frank Langellet. No, um, yeah. he hasn't been me too yet, has he? Yeah. <laughs> I've always quoted down the years, and I've realised it's from this film. Whenever someone mentions Dracula, I always go for the accent of him saying Dracul. As we've discussed, you know, his accent is all over the place. <laughs> He's basically I... playing Hercule Poirot as Van Helsing. That's one thing I I find takes me out of of this film is the story of Dracula. It's set in the UK. This part yeah. of it is set in Transylvania with the Todd Browning Dracula. Bela Lugosi has an Eastern European accent. Christopher Lee just does a very British accent when he plays it, but because he yeah. This very sort of upright lord, you can kind of forgive him for not doing the accent. But Frank Frank Langella speaks with an American accent, and it just takes me out of it. There's not even a hint of an accent, and I love Fra- Frank Langella. He will always be Skeletor to me. Either this or Masters of the Universe was my first experience of his work. This would work as a play because you don't see his teeth because. A lot of the things are implied. Yeah, you can see a lot of this done on the stage, even the sort of bigger sets like the Asylum. But when you try and translate that to film, it doesn't work. How no. are you supposed to believe this? Although some of the cinematography is really well shot. The sets and everything in this film, as you said, the everything else was done on location in Cornwall and Dorset and all around that area. Yeah, around uh, St. Michael's Mount was Carfax Abbey. Yes, um, Carfax Abbey, which actually is, is just outside of London, the, the real Carfax Abbey anyway. Yeah, but it was St. Michael's Mount in the in the movie. Was it? Yeah. Oh, yeah, very much. The, the tide goes in and out, and there's a equivalent one in France, isn't there, with the same in North France somewhere. Yeah, I think I've just sort of incepted that and just automatically assumed it's supposed to be Carfax Abbey. Anyway, just sort of looking at the film overall, we get the wonderful uh, wolf sound at the beginning and the dramatic helicopter camera shot going towards uh, Carfax Abbey. And then you notice a bit of a continuity error you were mentioning to me about uh, the crates. Oh, you, the ship. Uh, what's the ship called? The Demeter. Which yeah. is the name of the ship that crashes off the coast of Whitby? It's actually based, Bram Stoker based it on a real ship that crashed there. That was one thing I always found strange. You, it opens with this terrible weather, this boat trying to get through the storm. You see the body of a sailor who's had his throat ripped out. So it's implied that Dracula is killing off these sailors and they're going to throw, throw him overboard. Yeah, he's been nailed back into his into the box that they're getting rid of so what do you do get back in and they just yeah. nailed him back in or do you just pull <laughs> the nails back in it doesn't make a lot of sense i know you have to suspend i do like the effect i do like the effect on the sailor's neck that's pretty good the bites in this are very uh very impressively done and then i said we cut to the asylum it reminded me of something in the high frame stairs all the strange clientele you know uh probably a long way to get to the toilet it's pretty much a weatherspoons isn't it <laughs> yeah pretty much um <laughs> and then we get a massive amount of the british cast coming in i've uh just worked out we've got a doctor who sylvester mccoy in a small role and we'll hear uh from him later on in the podcast about something that happened on set 
you got Dr. Loomis exposition again from Halloween. You got um, Angus Deaton's wife from One Foot in the Grave. The butler from Benny Hill and um, Swales. Uh, no, he's called Swales. And then we've got Renfield, who was in various TV shows, but I can't actually pin down any at the moment. That's one thing I don't quite understand. Renfield plays an important part in this story. He was a terrifying yeah. character that had been taken under Dracula's spell. Why is he supposed to be? He just seems to be almost like a throwaway character. A lot of the people that play an important part in this story yeah. are just throwaway characters. Was he a cockroach? I think so, yeah. We don't get cockroaches in the UK. No, you know, perhaps they came through the... Uh, or would they get them in Romania as well? Would they be in the... Uh, I don't know, but... The, I, the only place I've never... collected them, wasn't he? He was collecting them, apparently, so maybe he collected a few off his ship. Or... That's another thing, going back slightly, when they talk about uh, the ship crashing, that Dracula was thrown to safety. How was he thrown to safety? It's. I suppose he can turn into a wolf and a bat, honey. Yeah, he, <laughs> he's manimal, but, baby. He's manimal. That that yeah. should never have been cancelled. The guy um, who's he's passed away now, but he went on to be in Holby City. Simon McCorkendale. Has he passed away now? Yeah, quite good for you. Probably five, maybe ten years ago. He's in Jaws 3D as well. Yeah, this is where we get introduced to when we're in the asylum, which is which is a fantastic set, second only to. The one in the Francis Ford Coppola's, which was a great set. We're introduced to Lucy. Lucy is the daughter of Donald Pleasance. Yeah. Who actually tries to slap her when she's running out of breath. Yeah. <laughs> and then, as you um, said, doesn't, doesn't give much of a monkeys when she's died. No. As I said to you yesterday when we were chatting about this, she dies and it's just as though... He's accidentally broken a cup and hilarity has ensued. It's, it just takes you out of it so much in this film of what are you seeing that we're not? Because you're just not taking any of this seriously. No, a lot of it is quite sort of over the top. You can almost see it being parodied. One thing I've never understood is why they swapped around the characters of Mina and Lucy. Because Lucy's the one in every other version that is, is killed by Dracula. And Mina is the one that's lusted after by him. Yeah, wonderful. I think Kate Nelligan was probably one of my very first crushes. Not Jan Francis from Just Good Friends. Never really did it for me that much. This I think is... it was the short hair she had in. I wasn't didn't like ladies with short hair when I was younger. I can completely agree with you on that. Going back to our introductions, when we meet Jonathan Harker, this was Trevor Eve's first film role. Trevor... Eve, who most people in British TV will know as Detective Superintendent from the Waking the Dead. Yeah, and uh, Shoestring, wasn't it, back in the 70s and 80s? That was a, a breakout role for him. Was he in Shoestring? I think he was Shoestring, wasn't he? Was he, was he the... Was he, what was he, a police officer in Shoestring? Who moonlighted as a DJ or something else? <laughs> something weird. I can't remember. Probably around about this time as well. But I just find his character incredibly boring i even though he's incredibly wooden in the copula version i prefer to watch uh, keanu i think going slightly off keanu reeves is not the worst accent in that film winona Ryder's accent is very questionable in fact yeah. more questionable flabless flabless yeah. <laughs> how do you find a lot of these characters in this film 
quite over the top, as you said, with Olivier and Pleasance. They phoned it in, and you can you can definitely tell that. Well, as I said, Doctor Doctor Pleasance. That's quite a cool cool name for a band or something, isn't it? Donald Pleasance is basically playing his Halloween character as a sort of Edwardian or is it Victorian gent? The person I believe that plays probably the best character in in this entire film is Teddy Turner as Swales, the butler. He just plays the same character in every film, but he's brilliant at at being that character. Even though he's not familiar to the novel, as you've alluded to, or other versions, I really do like uh, Renfield. I think he would have been... As a sort of a patsy, you know, and how, how, how scared he is of Dracula throughout. But it's just the way they introduce him. He yeah. could have been introduced, considering he's supposed to be the solicitor that deals with Dracula in the first place. He just comes across as a very secondary, a minor character. Oh, he's terrifying in the 32 version of the film. He's yeah. terrifi- terrifying when he's played by Tom Waits. But in this, he's just... He's nothing to me. He just like he's a bit of a strange old gibbon sort of thing. I just want to say, movie wise, where we are, uh, they go back to where the spoons after is it Nina? Nina has died before she's been zombified, anyway. We have jumped over at Mina's um, death, where Dracula comes in and tries to take her under his spell. What he's going to tell her to get better, that's yeah. Maybe that was the type of thing that worked in the 70s. It was still a sort of innocent time. Yeah. Everything seems to go bright when he comes in as well, doesn't it? You know, even though the yeah. darkness of Carfax Abbey, when he's in, everything just seems inherently brighter. And, you know, there was controversy about this film because uh, John Badham, the director, released a desaturated version when the technology was available. But I think the, a lot of fans have complained about the, you know, the original sort of being too brightened in that way. Because, you know, obviously I had it on the VHS copy from the TV and it was very dark. The 80s green that I go on about, I love so much. I mean, and John Biden hadn't long come off Saturday Night Fever, so that's a very different type of movie. But that is very bright. But, uh, when they go back to Weatherspoons and um, Angus Deaton's wife from One Foot in the Grave has her baby murdered. You know, perhaps it was Victor Meldrew creeping in at night. Yeah. I don't, be- I don't believe you had a child. Isn't it that Janine Davisky? That's her, yeah. No, and then no. we get more evidence of it being Weatherspoons, as people mentioned, the foul fangs. It, probably something you'd see at 2am when the lights came on. You should have had at least seen his fangs instead of... Um, I know it's a different version of Dracula. It still needs to have certain things. Like when they did Sherlock, when Mark Gattis and... Gattis and Moffat, yeah. And Gattis and Moffat did Sherlock Holmes. They proved you didn't need the Victorian setting. You could make the story up to date but they still kept a lot of it they still kept in 221b baker street they still kept in the housekeeper they still kept in a lot of the characters just the setting didn't change considering he's supposed to be a bloodsucker who's got fangs at least show the fangs once it's tried to make it too much for a romantic tale and it just doesn't work yeah i definitely prefer the sort of more the action bits which i think are pretty well filmed when they end uncover um Mina in her grave and she says papa and all i could think of again was nicole <laughs> my favorite scene with dracula in this entire film has to be where you see him crawling down the wall yeah. which was later used in the coppola one where you see gary oldman climbing down the wall 
oh that that is so well shot you know it's a bit nicholas hammond as spider-man but it's uh very much atmospheric but can i just mention we got a little insert to put in here from a few years ago I was a doctor who fan i went to a convention and uh was aware at conventions i'd been to previously that uh sylvester mccoy had a who has a small role in this movie had a bit of a uh issue with sir lawrence olivier at the time and uh at a convention back in 2015 i think for charity up in windsor i got to ask sylvester a question about this and he gave a a pretty uh pretty long answer which i'm gonna put in here now dude in 79 dracula film with sir lawrence olivier and i saw you speak at a convention before and he didn't treat you very well would you be willing to tell us a story about <laughs> lawrence olivier speak ill of the dead <laughs> yes <laughs> It's about Dracula, it's okay. No, I mean, Larry Olivier. What an all-up stager. Um, we, were, we were filming at Hyphanes Park, uh, but in the end, it ended up being a lot of it ended up on the cutting room floor. But there was this bit, so he was playing Van Helsing, and he was playing the greatest actor we had, couldn't do a Dutch accent. I mean, he played Van Helsing like a German. I mean, you know, that's, you know, Shaw, yeah, it's a good Shaw, you know, they've got a really interesting accent. And he, we, we were filming down in the West Country in the middle of winter. We were down here for about 11 weeks, all locked up in a very plastic hotel, not very nice. Weather was terrible. I mean, he was very brave, I must say. He, you know, he'd been ill, but he was incredibly brave. He never complained. He, he did stand out in gales, and he did do the stuff. He was also ill, and therefore maybe he was a bit bad-tempered. But he didn't take to me. I mean, I arrived at uh, the bar. I remember the opening night, a big day, and I was kind of so excited. It's a big film, a Hollywood film, and wow. And I, I went into the, the bar, and, I, and I, they were all talking, and I went in and said, well, anyone like a drink? And of course, they all just chatted chat away. And I went, um, hello, anyone want a drink? Um, you know, and I made a terrible crack about being a Scotsman, I won't ask another time. <laughs> and then a lot of women turned around and we said, oh, do shut up, Sylvester, and sit down. And I thought the earth should open up and swallow me on some of the pirates. Well, I just wanted to buy some of the drink. But thank God, Donald Pleasance was there, and he was actually named Pleasant. He was a lovely man. We got on a house of fire, we had a great time. And he actually told Lonzo Olivier off the way he was, he'd take it to him. Because at one point, Olivier said, you, you are nothing, you are nothing but um, uh, a music hall. And I thought, well, what's wrong with that? But anyway, he, you know, that, that was a put down. We're doing this scene. There's a corridor, if you imagine. Uh, Frank Langella had just sucked um, Kate Nelligan's neck. She was playing Lucy. Frank was playing uh, Dracula. Anyway, so there was that scene. And they get Van Helsing. And they had me, because I was playing a resident lunatic who was allowed out of the lunatic asylum to work in the house. And I was carrying the garlic. And we wandered down. And it was a connecting scene between things. It was just they needed to click to that and then click back. A simple scene. The camera's down there. Uh, the, the room's there. Kate Nelligan's there. And it's all that room. And the camera and the crew. And we come down. This is a wall here. Alonso really and I. We walk down. He's here. And we stand here. And then we enter in. Cut. That's all we needed. That's all we wanted. Just that around scene. Okay. We get to the bit. It said action. I walk down. Lonzo Olivier goes like this to me, so I end up walking into the wall there, and he walks in all by himself. <laughs> and the thing is, it was, it was not important, it was just a kind of, so they had it, I mean, they had me kind of coming in at the back, trying to get into the set, into the seat, but he was, you know, he made sure that he, I couldn't be seen. Anyway, later, this next scene, if you ever watch this film, the next scene, I'm in it, 
with garlic out of focus, going around the windows, and I'm so angry, furiously angry, that, um, uh, uh, what's his name, uh, uh, an actor friend of mine anyway, came out having seen it, he said, my God, he said, you're the first person I ever saw upstaged Lance Olivier, because all you could see was this angry bit of fuzzy thing. <laughs> <laughs> Great fun working with him. But although one day, because as I say, John Flair has had said to him, you know, behave yourself. You know, why are you being so horrid to, you know, to Sylvester, you know, blah, blah. And then one day I, I came out, and then his room was next to mine, and he used to be on the phone to, um, uh, uh, what's her name? It's my, <laughs> I don't know the names. Anyway, um, and he, he, he liked to swear a lot which I discovered. Uh, I had two little children with me, so I had to cover up my ears when he was on the phone to his wife. You were bleeping my money. Anyway, I met him on the hall one day, and he said to me, oh dear boy, come and sit down. I will have a in this little alcove, and let's have a talk. And we sat there, and it suddenly started opening himself up and how he regretted. Um, who was his wife that went mad? Joan Plowright. Joan Plowright, He kept saying to me, no, yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah, Joan, Joan was the one that he was swearing at down the phone. And Vivian Lee was the one. And he was starting to say to me how much he regretted it. It was really sad uh, that he'd done the thing. And he just poured his heart out to me. And I hope it was very touching. And then he said, he said, you know, I like the Scots. So that was quite patronizing. But anyway, <laughs> it was better than being called, uh, you know, kind of uh, whatever he called me before got a youtube channel now folks and i put the full version of that answer i think it's going to be about three minutes on this podcast but he adds on a bit more which i put on our youtube channel so just search now for friday night movie time and so yeah search uh, youtube for that guys and yeah get the full answer from sylvester there but um did you manage to watch it mate i'm sure i've seen it before you showed it to me before yeah it's pretty good you know how he mentions that Olivier did apologise to him eventually. He sounded like he was a bit of an ass at the time, but he realises the guy was an old man at the time, a trooper who stood out in all these uh, West Country locations when they filmed throughout the winter. I think you know a lot of like classic actors were arseholes because they were fighting to get the best parts. Yeah, it's not like now where there's there's so many movies made. It was only a limited amount. Even when they were on stage, even like Guinness used to pay yeah. the lighting guy to light him better than anyone else well i think sylvester mentions that on the video version of the answer which is longer i think he mentions that olivier did it first and then in a production of king lear or something guinness who was the new up-and-coming guy uh actually paid him before so there was a bit of a battle there and i believe um laurence olivier very early on in his career back in the 30s had actually worked for universal being being in a in a horror film you know, in a right, very yeah. small role, the name escapes me at the moment, which ironically is, is the name of uh, an autobiography. And just to mention another bit, which I thought was really well edited, was um, after the showdown they have uh, within uh, the doctor's house, Van Helsing, you know, when he, he spots Dracula behind him and says he didn't see his reflection in the mirror. They have a little bit of a battle. Um, the garlic gets pulled out. The crucifix gets pulled out. We then get the cut of Jack Dracula jumping out the window and the wolf appears at the other side. And I thought that was just so well shot. Uh, and then we get a pretty decent chase scene as well when the uh, the horse and cart escapes and Mina is trying to warn Dracula at the castle. 
I don't um, think Nelligan has ever looked more beautiful than that than that scene. I'm surprised she didn't have a big bigger career than she did. Yeah, New Zealand actress. I don't know if she appeared in any of the Hobbit uh, Jackson movies or Lord of the Rings. Perhaps she had a minor role. Was she in Shortland Street? That was the main thing that they're all in, wasn't it, in New Zealand? Like uh, Demure Morrison now, who's Boba Fett. No, she wasn't in any of the Hobbit. In fact, she hasn't starred in any, anything since 2010. Yeah, and of course we've had uh, Renfield's death by this point. That's uh, very well shot. And uh, is it Tony Haygarth? Passed away himself only about a year ago. He um he conveys the uh the fear there, doesn't it? They kill off everyone. This this clearly was a one shot film. There was they were not planning for any sequels. Oh, they could have with the ending, I suppose, couldn't they? I mean, they definitely weren't bringing back Laurence Olivier by killing him off. Yeah, I mean, I think it was. I think this pleasant survivor can't remember. Possibly, like I said, this was a paycheck for Laurence Olivier. He wasn't coming back. This wasn't a desperate desire to play this character over and over again. Yeah, I suppose if they'd given because this film didn't really make that much money back, it made enough to be successful, but not enough for it to create a franchise again which is probably what universal were looking for considering how much many films they'd made their money off the back of dracula and frankenstein and the wolfman and all of these other movies i've always thought the ending was very impressively shot you get the old crustiness on the face as he's exposed yeah. to the sunlight john williams theme kicking in and uh i'm gonna mention it again kate's lovely smile at the end when she thinks he's escaped but i was Always confused as to whether it was just part of his cloak or the actual bat flying away at the end. I always find it quite strange when you see bats flying. It always looks quite hammy. Then we kick into John Williams' score and, um, well, what did you think of it overall, Lee, watching it nowadays? It's not something I would go back to. It was enjoy. It was enjoyable view for, what was it, the hour and a half, hour and 40 minutes that it was on. Yeah. It's not a Dracula film I'll watch at Halloween. It's different. If you're looking for yeah. a different version of Dracula, certainly not the worst version of Dracula I've ever seen. If I was going to give it a score out of 10, I'd probably go for a 7. Yeah, maybe probably 7 or maybe even 6 for me now on rewatching. but it's just wrapped up on having it taped off the TV as a kid. And as we mentioned, we were stuck with the videos we had at home, weren't we? You know, the stuff yeah. we get out taped off the TV growing up. So it's going to be your choice next time. Lee, uh, what are you picking for us? Bagels. Ah, oh, brilliant. That and I, do you want to be a hero song? Uh, yeah, there's a lot to talk about. That a film that I didn't think that much of when I was a kid. But and on that... a recent rewatch, it's certainly got some things about it. Hammer legend uh, Peter Cushing's final movie. Brilliant. Yep, okay, bye-bye for now. Yeah, bye for now, dudes. <laughs>